two choices in life. Either expect someone else to solve your problems or learn to face life's challenges yourself. Those who overcome have learned a vital principle of the Bible, how to be a prayer warrior. In other words, an intercessor who can appeal to God for answers. The Jerusalem Channel is made with the support of you, our viewers. Thank you for watching. Shalom, I'm Christine Dark. An intercessor is God-centered and not problem-centered. A prayer warrior is not focused on what man can or cannot achieve. The person who lives a life of prayer has a vision of what God can do in difficult situations. And praise and worship are so vital to help us through the tough times coming upon us because worship and thanksgiving shift our focus from the problem onto the problem solver. Spiritual believers truly look upon the world not as a playground, but as the battleground that it actually is. That's why prayer is the most important conversation that we'll have in our day. Let's purpose to talk to God before we talk to anybody else. Some prayers are generational and take more than a lifetime to be answered. Indeed, it takes years for certain prayers to be answered. But sometimes it takes 40 days of fasting and prayer. In Deuteronomy 9.18, Moses, the great intercessor, threw himself down before God for 40 days. Sometimes prayers are answered in three weeks, as was the case in Daniel chapter 10. And from the prophet Jonah and from Queen Esther, we learn that some prayers are answered in three days. And hallelujah, some prayers are answered even before we think to pray. That's because God declares in Isaiah 65, 24, before they call, I will answer. And those are the quickest answers. So we should never stop being in an attitude of prayer. Never stop believing. Never stop expecting answers. And yes, as Paul wrote, pray without ceasing. How fierce the battles of life can be if we don't pray. Everyone we meet is fighting a battle that we know nothing about because we human beings try for the most part to hide and cover up our sorrows. And one prayer battle we're facing in this apostate age concerns the time-honored institution of marriage. Fewer and fewer persons are choosing traditional marriage, despite the fact that marriage is broadly connected with better health, not to mention the well-being of children. According to a survey in the USA, more than a third of adults today, that's 35%, will never tie the knot. Oh, they will still enter into relationships and have children outside the protective bonds of marriage. But by simply opting out of marriage, serial sexual experiences don't actually produce lasting happiness. And Bible believers know why. This is because marriage is a part of God's created order. A successful marriage requires a commitment and according to an article in the Wall Street Journal, the divorce rate is generally lower for those who wait to get married. 
However, couples in their 20s who do not live together before marriage have some of the lowest divorce rates of any group. And that's according to the National Survey of Family Growth. University of Denver psychologist Galena Rhodes says, we generally think that having more experience with various partners is better. But what we find for relationships, she said, is just the opposite. More partners mean more opportunities to make comparisons. And that makes long-term contentment harder to achieve. Cohabitation also teaches couples to head for the exit door instead of working on a marriage. And so here we are in a culture where both delayed marriage and living together are considered normal. You see, to be a Bible believer in our world today means we're going against the tide most of the time. And that can be exhausting if we're not careful to maintain our faith. We need to keep our faith in God strong and also watch for our blessed hope, the appearing of our Lord and Savior. Last week, I began a booster study in divine health. And this week, I want to continue to believe that our level of faith, so important, can be given a booster shot during times of apostasy. As I wrote in my healing book, Speak to the Mountain, nowhere in this Bible does Jesus encourage a sick person to accept with finality a life marked by disease. On the contrary, in the Gospels, we continually see a portrait of Jesus attacking sickness and infirmities as the works of Satan, which he came to destroy. And the Lord's mindset should be our mindset. Faith takes God at this word and believes what he said is true just because he said it, period. To a father who was struggling with a sick child, Jesus said in Mark 9:23, if you can believe all things are possible to him that believes. The great danger with most of us is that after we ask the Lord to do something, we don't believe that it's done, but we keep trying to help him and asking others to help him and waiting to see how he's going to answer. But faith should add its amen to God's yes and then take its hands off the situation and leave it to God. I must simply take him at his word and praise him that my prayer is heard and claim my answer from the Lord. Bible commentator Matthew Henry wrote that an act of faith gives thanks for a promise in advance, knowing that God's bonds are as good as readily available money. And faith is now. Jesus said in Mark eleven twenty four, 24, when you pray, believe that you receive the things that you desire and you shall have them. Have we come to that moment, to that ability? Have we met God in his everlasting now? That is the test of faith. God will bless you if you don't give up when your faith is being tested. Sometimes the only way God can show us that he is in control is to allow us to get into situations that we cannot control. As long as you're waiting for a thing, hoping for it, looking for it, you are not really believing that it's done. You may be hoping, but hope is not faith. The command in regard to believing prayer is the present tense. And here we see in Hebrews 11.1, 1, 
It declares now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. True faith counts on God and believes before it sees. So let's let our faith roar so loudly that we can't hear the voice of doubt. Naturally, we want some evidence that our petition is granted before we believe. That's just human nature. But God says when we walk by faith, we need no other evidence than his word. He has spoken, and according to our faith, it shall be done unto us. We shall see because we have believed. And our faith sustains us in the most trying circumstances when everything around us seems to contradict God's word. The psalmist said in Psalm 27, I would have fainted. In other words, I would have lost heart unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. He didn't yet see the Lord's answer to his prayers, but he believed to see. And this faith kept him from fainting and losing heart. So if we have the faith that believes to see, it will keep us from growing discouraged. We can laugh in the face of impossibilities. We can watch with delight how God opens up a path through our Red Sea when there was no human way out of our difficulty. Through severe testing, our faith grows and strengthens. There was a time when the Israelites hung their harps on the Babylonian willow trees, and theirs was a totally defeatist attitude. They were beyond discouragement, just hopeless. And sometimes we believers are the same. But one of my favorite rabbis says that a person's first task is always to avoid all whining, kvitching, complaining, endless crying, sadness, and despair. The more we murmur and complain, the longer God will allow us to park in the desert. Well, faith apostle Smith Wigglesworth saw thousands delivered from evil powers. He said the weakness in our land comes from a lack of the knowledge of this word of God. The faith apostle also said the reason the world is not seeing Jesus is that professing believers are not overflowing with the spirit of the Lord. Instead, these professing believers are satisfied with attending meetings occasionally and reading the Bible occasionally and praying when in trouble. They basically live powerless lives before the eyes of the world. And in fact, they are indistinguishable from the lives of unbelievers. Wigglesworth used to say that you can do more in one year if you're really filled with the Holy Spirit than you could in a lifetime apart from the Lord. My favorite Wigglesworth saying is that there is something about believing God that will cause him to pass over a million persons just to get to you to honor your faith. But if you were faithfully declaring all the counsel of God as revealed in this Bible, don't be surprised if you will cause scorn and division. If you take a stand for God, just remember, only eight persons made it onto Noah's Ark. Only four persons escaped from the doomed twin cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, but one of them, Lot's wife, looked back and she perished. Only Elijah withstood the prophets of Baal in his day. And only David was willing to stand alone against the giant Goliath. Only three Hebrew children refused to 
bow down to the king's idol in the book of Daniel. And in the New Testament, only one woman had the presence of mind to anoint Jesus. And only one apostle was brave enough to stand with the women at the foot of the cross. So being a believer can get lonely at times, but it's worth it in the end to be part of the heavenly minority. But we have to face the fact that you and I are in the here and now, and the world can be a dangerous place with no place to hide in our day. If you watch World War II movies, people were always desperately trying to get to safety in neutral Switzerland. Oh, if just somehow they could get over the border of Switzerland, that then they would be safe and all would be well. But in the future, there will be no place to hide because of facial recognition technology and so forth. Recently, I watched a documentary on the fascist tyrants Mussolini and Hitler, and the film demonstrated patterns of how mankind comes under the spells of dictators, and it showed how the world is headed yet again in that direction, with the emergence of many new antichrists, and then will emerge the final antichrist, who will be able to take over the world, this time for a short season, due to advancements in technology and communications and so forth. In order to withstand Satan's kingdom in a dangerous world, we have to learn to dress appropriately in the armor that God has provided for believers, and it's listed in Ephesians chapter 6, such as the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, and wielding the sword of the Spirit, and so forth. We know from hard-earned experience and also from the truth of Psalm 37 that there will always be evildoers strutting around and faring sumptuously every day as they bask in the comforts of their great prosperity. Workers of iniquity are always climbing into the places of power and tyrannizing the less fortunate. And it's going to get worse before the Lord returns. The Apostle Paul predicted that evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse in the last days, deceiving and being deceived. Even in the psalmist's day, while sinful people stalked through the land, good people were frustrated, heated, and fretful. But Psalm 37 wisely admonishes us not to fret because it tends only to evil. Fretting causes friction. Instead, we need the oil of God's anointing to facilitate us to pass through difficult days. Many believers want God's anointing, but they also want to avoid all the crushing trials and tests that produce the anointing oil in the first place. Well, despite watching evildoers prospering temporarily, Romans chapter 8 and verse 1 assures us of the benefit of becoming a believer in Jesus. Romans 8 1 says that there is no condemnation to those who belong to the Lord Jesus. In other words, to become a born-again believer means that you have forever become exempt from the condemnation of God. There will never be any judgment against a believer who possesses a saving knowledge of Jesus. This truth that a person is justified through the righteousness of Jesus is foreign to a practicing Jew who tries to keep the law. And justification by faith in Jesus is certainly a foreign theological concept to pagans. It's a foreign concept to most of the world. 
that a person can enter into a permanent state of justification and not be condemned before God due to the merits of our Savior. But when you're saved, God puts his Holy Spirit inside you, and it's the Holy Spirit within us who grants us this permanent status of salvation, something we can count on for eternity. You see, it's the work of the Holy Spirit to secure our salvation. And the Bible promises that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit and nothing can break that royal seal. Faithful is he who calls you, who also will do it. So if you see somebody falling away from the way, they were never really saved in the first place. They were only professing believers. They never really knew Jesus or they would never deny him. There are people, I've known some, who claim they were Christians, who converted to Judaism or Islam, but they were never really saved in the first place. They never knew the Savior personally. And we must learn to discern that, especially in these perilous last days, and not be thrown by people who disappoint us. It's all part of the upheaval of the last days. You see, the Bible says all of creation is groaning due to corruption and deception in the world. The Apostle Paul used poetic language in Romans chapter 8 when he wrote that presently all of creation is groaning. Believers groan. The environment groans. And even the Holy Spirit groans, he said. And what did Paul mean? Well, groaning means to bewail the present condition of the world. And Paul wrote that the creation waits in eager expectation for the revelation of the sons of God. For in the future, the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to downward decay. Paul said in Romans 8.22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until the present time. And why is the world in labor, so to speak, with birth pains? And those pains are becoming greater and greater. Well, not only is it an indication that Jesus is coming, but do you recall what happened way back in the book of Genesis when Adam and Eve sinned? God cursed the earth's environment. And in fact, the whole universe was cursed because of sin's pollution. That's why this Bible is a book of prophecies, giving us hope to look forward to a new heaven and a new earth that will no longer be polluted by sin. But in the interim, creation is groaning. It's Paul's poetic way of expressing entropy. Entropy is the consequences of the second law of thermodynamics. Entropy is the idea of disorder. Entropy causes everything to disintegrate. And that's why the theory of evolution is a big, fat lie. We're not in an upward trend. Rather, mankind is in a downward trajectory. We are moving away from the beginnings of absolute perfection in the Garden of Eden towards total disaster when God will dissolve the elements with fervent heat. But in the book of Revelation, chapter 21, the apostle John foresaw a new heaven and a new earth. John saw the holy city the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride, adorned for her bridegroom. And John heard a great voice out of heaven saying, 
Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there's going to be no more death, no more sorrow or crying. Neither shall there be any more pain. For the former things are going to pass away. That's the perspective we should always bear in mind. After all, Philippians 3.20 reminds believers that our citizenship is not really on this earth, but ultimately in heaven. We Bible believers are actually looking forward to that new heaven and a new earth. The environment will be healed, and we're watching for the Savior to appear. We're not looking for Antichrist. We're looking for Christ, King Messiah. The Lord Jesus has promised to come again to liberate us. And in the meantime, how important it is to keep the faith and understand the times. Take, for example, the reconstituted nation of Israel. Oh, how believers must understand God's dealings with Israel and God's purposes for Israel and how he is far from finished with Israel. If their rejection of the Messiah had the positive consequence of the Savior being offered to the Gentiles globally, Paul asks in Romans chapter 11, how much more will the faith of Israel and Jesus bring blessings in the future? Get this. Israel's belief in Messiah will be the answer to the Lord's prayer, thy kingdom come. Because when Israel's eyes are open and their judicial blindness against Messiah Jesus, Yeshua, is removed by God, what's going to happen? The book of Zechariah tells us that they will look upon him whom they have pierced and they'll mourn for him. And then they will graciously receive from God the Davidic kingdom which had been postponed for nearly 2,000 years during the church age. And that's the promise of the prophets. The kingdom being restored to Israel and Jesus returning to rule in Jerusalem will bring glory to the earth. The redeemed nation of Israel will reign and Satan will be bound for a thousand years. That's what the Bible teaches. The law will go forth from Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And Jerusalem will become the world's worship capital, not Rome, hallelujah. And finally, Israel and the world will receive the kingdom of the Lord Jesus. And when does this come about? Well, to rightly organize the timeline revealed in Scripture, we see that the kingdom happens after the rapture. That's after the catching away of the completed church that consists of the full number of Gentiles globally as mentioned in scriptures. For example, Luke 21, 24, Jesus said, Jerusalem will be trodden down by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And Jerusalem is, of course, back in Jewish hands. And in Romans eleven twenty five, 25, Paul wrote, I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brethren, so that you won't be conceited that Israel has experienced a partial hardening but only until the full number of the Gentiles has come into the church. And at that time, after the catching away of the church, then the Lord will ordain and seal 144,000 Hebrew preachers, 12,000 out of each of the 12 tribes. Think about this. 
If the 144,000 Jewish evangelists were redeemed at the end of the church age, before the rapture, as some Bible teachers erroneously teach, then these Jewish evangelists would all be caught up as part of the rapture church company. However, instead, these Jewish evangelists are consecrated and sealed after the rapture, thus enabling them to go out to evangelize the world during the great tribulation, to be Israel's light, and those souls who were saved and who were not martyred during that time of unprecedented trouble will populate the kingdom of God when Jesus returns. And so the 144,000 are God's sent ones, his ambassadors all over the globe during the great tribulation period. And Revelation chapter 7 gives us a picture of their tremendous harvest of souls. It's an innumerable crowd of people redeemed out of every tribe and nation, all praising the Lamb of God, Jesus, Yeshua, the Savior before the throne of God. And ultimately, the whole nation Israel is saved as well. And then the millennial kingdom comes on earth. In the meantime, here we are in the closing of the church age. And it's our duty as well to preach the gospel to as many people who will listen. As we go about our daily lives, the Holy Spirit will grant us guidance and he will also be faithful to give us warnings. But it's up to us to pay attention to his warnings and to heed them. This life is the time that God grants us to determine how we will spend eternity. So now is the time to turn to the Lord. A person can live in this world without knowing or honoring Jesus, but the Bible teaches solemnly that you can't afford to die without him. After all, Jesus said in John 8, 24, what an awesome verse. Unless you believe that I am who I claim to be, you will die in your sins. So how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation purchased for us on Jerusalem's cross by the Savior? I'd rather go through the storms with Jesus than to try to sail through life without him. If you've not yet turned to Jesus, the world's only Savior in faith, now is the time to heed the storm warnings and run to the Redeemer. He promises eternal life to all who call upon him in truth. And God has appointed you to be here at this time in history to fulfill his special purposes and exploits for this generation. So let's purpose to be bold for God and make every day count. Well, I think you'll be blessed in checking out our website, exploits.tv, which brings you news on current and end-time events and prayer pointers regarding both the church and the nation of Israel. At our website and Jerusalem Channel YouTube site, You'll also find a library of videos like the one you're watching. Share your thoughts with me on social media. And don't forget, download our free Jerusalem Channel mobile app for your phones or tablets. In the meantime, I'll always be contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem. The grace of the Lord be with you. I'm Christine Dark. Maranatha and Shalom. <laughs>